0: Do you love to love? Are you hyper vigilant to other people's behavior and you can sense when someone's energy shifts just from their body language? Does this little shift make you a little anxious? Like you want to fix things fast before they break? Yeah, this podcast is for you. I'm Carmen Britlin and I'm a neurosemantics coach, yoga, meditation teacher, and I'm also human with all the challenges that come with that. And this is my big leap from serial monogamous to feeling fulfilled as a single person. So consider this a guide to stepping into the shoes that you were meant to fill, so that when we meet someone, they're not a life raft, they're an added bonus. Welcome to the single best. I'm excited to be in your ear. <laughs> So I took acid once or twice, or I took it a few times, actually. And if I'm going to be completely honest, I microdosed it quite often during the lockdown summer when there wasn't was much else to do than to navel gaze and explore our minds, resilience. And I had an experience when I was on it that I try not to forget. And it goes a little something like this, that if you're going through some shit that you think is newsworthy, think again. This moment in time is so insignificantly small in comparison to the magnitude of your whole life. It's like that meme of the universe and an arrow pointing towards someone in microscopic proportions crying in the shower. Broadening our perspectives like this can make any hurdle seem quite trivial. So whatever tough stuff we're going through, it's going to be so fine. But I don't need to be on psychedelics to realize that I am, in fact, quite lucky. Twice in my life, I've woken up randomly in the night, way before the alarm, and been really, really compelled to go outside. Once was in Australia, and the other was in Ireland. And completely oblivious to it, I looked up at the night sky, and I saw a shooting star thinking, man, I'm so lucky. And then I saw another, and another, and suddenly it was raining stars. It was meteor showers, but since I don't watch the news, because I like to stay safe in a blissful bubble where people treat each other right, I wasn't on the wiser. I just thought I was really lucky. Another time, on the one-year anniversary of my mom's death, I was in Australia at the time, and I went for a drive out to some amazing cliffs by the sea, and here I saw the biggest and brightest rainbow, and I felt so blessed to see it, like it was meant just for me. Is that a narcissistic streak? Maybe. Anyway, and you know when you take a different route sometimes and then you bump into someone you've been thinking about and you feel like it was like a chance meeting? That's also pretty lucky. I met my ex-husband like that. I was asked to go to cricket with some guy from work who was totally uninteresting and I was so reluctant to go. He had this really distracting nose hair that I couldn't get over. And this was my first year in Australia, so when I was going to decline an invite to the national sport, my Aussie friends that I lived with were appalled. Oh, babe, you've got a guy. Go. You can't be in Sydney and not go to cricket. No, don't want to hear it. Go on. I see, Good girl. Living the dream. On your bike. We don't want you home before dark. So I went. And I was running late or just in time. Depends how you look at it. It was a sliding doors moment where I missed the first bus and caught the second. So I arrived at most people were still flocking by the gates. And my husband-to-be, who would have normally been playing golf on a Saturday, was recovering from knee surgery, so he was chilling at the cricket with his mates. And our eyes locked over a crowd of people that were inches shorter than both of us. And right there and then, I felt like I knew him. And he said he felt the same. So damn lucky. But is it luck though, or do we create our own luck? When I took my coaching course in 2015, the guy who ran it quite bluntly said that nothing means anything bar the meaning that we give it. And back then I thought it was such a dick thing to say. as crushing my dreams. This was back when I was still a firm believer of magic and airy-fairy stuff like that. But I get it now. We can either make our lives magic or we don't. Full ownership and accountability. Isn't that quite liberating? We're not victims to some force that has its wicked way with us. I grew up in a religious household where both my parents believe in our days being numbered and whatever happens is meant to be. And I sit somewhere in between. I like to think that I have enough power to change things, but I also, I also think it's comforting to believe in something bigger than ourselves, whether you call that God or the universe or Chuck Norris. It's not all on our shoulders. I get it. I get why people cling to religion. I just don't like the organized fun aspect of it, especially when it involves happy clapping. Ask anyone who knows me. I'd rather play ping pong against the wall than be part of some some circular table tennis team. And this is also why that coach I mentioned earlier said that I should join a team sport to challenge myself. (laughs) Maybe one day. I'm more of a one-on-one sort of person. I've always had a bestie or been in a monogamous relationship. I like dedication. Really being there with one person at a time. But for my upcoming birthday in March, I've invited five of my closest friends to an overnight stay stay at a day spa. That's a little different. It's just not a crowd of people. It's a six-person unit. We're all like-minded, and I can be as much myself with these guys as with any family member of mine. There's no need to recharge the batteries after we spend time together. And I think we need more people like that in our lives. It's said that we're the sum of our five closest people in our network is our net worth and apart from financially I think this is much about your network being people who feel valuable in other ways they light you up, they fill your cup they got your back and they tell you to your face when you're being a cunt <laughs> I'm taking a three-month course at the moment, and apart from learning some new skills, the curriculum is all-encompassing. We're asked to look at our lives from a more holistic point of view. As an example, one of our first tasks was to submit a detailed explanation of our why. Why do we want to learn new skills? What is our motivation and drive behind it? This is a pretty useful question when it comes to any goals that we set. When you have a why... The how is more likely to unfold naturally, because when we can justify why we do something, the vision becomes clearer, and when you see it, you believe it. And this, in turn, is an excellent driving force, not just a stab in the dark at something. We're also asked what we can never allow to happen, like a worst-case scenario of sorts, because humans are more likely to be motivated away from something we don't want, than towards something we do want. Maybe this is primal. Us running away from wild pre- predators in our caveman era do everything in our power not to end up dead. So say that we have a screensaver of an infinity pool in Puerto Rico for years, but we never get there in real life. It's going to sound like an absolute wank saying Puerto Rico in a Puerto Rican accent. Vamos a la Puerto Rico, baby. I'll see you there. But one medical diagnosis saying that we have to give up smoking or else we're going to lose our toes from gangrene is absolutely enough to change our filthy habits. Never underestimate how powerful our motivation away from something is. People have moved thousands of miles to get away from spouses who gave them the ick. Don't you forget it. So these are some useful questions to ask yourself in your personal quest to be the best version of yourself. Although this podcast is tailored around the name single best, a more accurate description would perhaps be the single most elevated version of self. But that's not as catchy. People love power statements like always and never, everyone, and no one, everything or nothing, best and worst. These are absolutes. They help us make sense of things. But in neurosemantics and linguistic programming, where the focus is on the language that we use to describe how we experience the world, these sorts of absolute statements can do more harm than good. Compare someone saying something like, I never meet anyone I really click with. That sentence contains two absolutes never and anyone. So this form of expression is very restrictive and very limiting. This becomes the story. That person goes out basically vibrating an aura as unexciting as an Excel spreadsheet, potentially repelling people and might just click with them. Imagine changing that phrase to open up for the possibility of meeting someone instead. Try, I'm yet to meet someone I really click with. And this minor change of words is already much more open and much more receptive. I can almost guarantee that the vibes will be less of a repellent when you go in with this story rather than the first story. So use it as an experiment to be mindful of how you talk and catch yourself because we make our beliefs and then our beliefs make us. So we got Valentine's coming up. And just like Christmas, New Year's, going to a friend's wedding without a plus one can bring on feelings of loneliness, let's try to look at it from another point of view. What if this is the one Valentine's where you get to buy yourself a big bunch of flowers, you get to unbutton your jeans, not to have sex, but to binge on a box of chocolates in front of a rom com you've watched a hundred times, or go for dinner or clubbing with some other singles you know and stay out until dawn without having to ask anyone's permission? We can't possibly know when we will re-enter a new relationship, even if our psychics have told us the approximate month and year. So let's make the most of it, or simply ignore the day altogether, as it was mainly created to sell cards, flowers, or methods of redemption for having extramarital affairs. Valentine's schmalentines, right? I'm absolutely a sucker for receiving flowers, but if nobody gets me a bouquet this year, I'm buying my own. Remember that what Neil Strauss said? Unspoken expectations are premeditated resentments. I'm going to say that again. Unspoken expectations are premeditated resentments. Pretty powerful stuff. Never underestimate the power of the spoken word. If you want someone to do something for you, tell them. No, they're not gonna know just because some of us tend to be quite good at picking up on cues about what our partners like nobody's a mind reader and the sooner we realize this the better off we are it is when you express your wants and needs to someone that they and they don't make the effort that's when we might have an issue let's face it some people are just completely oblivious and this is where those sentences using absolutes most definitely coming to play like you never get me anything nice. What? What do you want? Specifics, please. Never and anything. Two very arbitrary words. I'm going to bring up an example of a couple I know. So she says to him, we never spend time together. And he responds, but we spend time together every single day. And this is where I had to put my beak in and ask her, What does quality time together look like for you? Because in his mind, sitting together on the sofa while both of them were scrolling on their phones is spending time together. And I can't argue with that. They may not be present with each other, but they're spending time together. You see? For her, she wanted them to be present with each other. So they live together and see each other every single day. So that's not the issue. It's the quality of the time spent and how that's measured. So for her, quality is going out for dinner, talking with each other, putting their phones away, or doing a physical activity together like a jog out in nature. Bit different, right? But if it's never expressed exactly what the words time together looks like to her, he wouldn't have the slightest. Men are indeed quite visual creatures and sometimes need to be painted a picture. So simplify, simplify, simplify. I remember recently actually saying something to someone and he just went, you're being so cryptic, like just speak the plain language. And I kind of, yeah, it was a bit of a, not a slap in the face, but like a reminder that yeah, I do do that. I tend to make it much more difficult than what it actually is. And yeah, it's not easy for me. <laughs> I always definitely don't communicate as clearly as I need to sometimes and sometimes It has led to needs going unmet, assumptions being made, and irritation rising that could have been prevented for sure. This is what creates that unnecessary drama. Imagine if we reduced some of our vast vocabulary and just said, I'm hungry, horny, and I feel emotional. First, I want dinner. Then I want sex. And after, I want you to spoon me while I tell you about my day. You don't need to say anything or try to fix it. Just listen and hold me. Simply put, right, but very precise. It can hardly be misunderstood. So it's like guidelines. (laughs) Step-by-step directions. This is my instruction manual. Here you go. Follow it to a T and you can't go wrong. But unfortunately, when we do feel hungry, horny, and emotional all at once, the central nervous system might be so out of balance, it's hard to express ourselves, let alone do it without a display of big emotions. So instead of simplifying things, we end up shouting, You haven't even started dinner. We haven't fucked for two weeks. So I don't think you love me anymore, and I just want to cry. And this may put certain partners straight into problem solving mode, the rare ones, I'd say. But others may hear it as a personal attack, withdraw and shut down, or shout back, What do you want? Which in turn will add more fear and doubt to the person expressing themselves. So keep it simple. Go for something as primitive as, you meet bedroom now, if necessary. Blessed be our intellect, right? But damn, it gets in the way of things sometimes. Overanalyzing and picking things apart. <laughs> I've been listening to Marissa Peer quite a bit recently. She does this meditation for reprogramming core beliefs with the help of hypnosis. And one of her meditations is centered around feeling lovable and deserving of good things when it comes to love and relationships. There are many variations of this, but according to Marissa, the three main ingredients for a successful partnership is best friend chemistry, sexual chemistry, and mutual respect and admiration for each other. I think this sounds pretty good. More important criteria for our checklists than if someone has a master's degree or a six pack. And bear in mind, if you want to be fully accepted by someone for who we are, just as we are, it's only fair that we then in turn accept someone for who they are, exactly as they are. No project pieces or falling in love with someone's potential thinking that we can change them. This is a clear recipe for disappointment. Yeah, so you may have different interests and passions, but do you respect and admire one another? Are you comfortable in each other's company? And do you get the lovely tingles when you kiss? If you can tick off all of those, but you get hung up on your mismatching tastes in music and film, it sounds like you may need to reassess your priorities. When we've been single for a while, we run the risk of finding faults in people so that we can keep looking for someone else. Because It's in the search where we still remain free, unsettled, and aren't having to compromise with anyone. Eternal bachelors and bachelorettes are made, living life forever on their own terms. Another interesting topic of discussion in dating is the three-month rule. Date someone for three months before you fully commit or before you go exclusive. It's after three months when our masks drop and we reveal more of our true selves, apparently might be worth the wait. Or at least don't sign a lease together or meet each other's families yet. And this thing goes hand in hand with the abundance mindset dating, where you keep dating multiple people so that all your money isn't riding on this one stallion. You know, there's so many rules in modern dating. It's frankly quite exhausting to keep up. And the truth of it is that there's couples who've fucked on the first date and they've been together for 20 years And there's couples who waited six months and they broke up after the first fuck. So there really isn't a magic recipe for this. You just have to go and follow your intuition, I guess. As I personally tend to have a tendency to hyper-focus, when I meet someone I like, it becomes nearly impossible for me to date anyone else. It doesn't matter if it's early days. I've been open-minded about abundant dating, yes, but in reality, it's easier said than done perhaps it comes down to bandwidth and capacity. My life is fairly busy, so making time for one new person I want to see on a regular basis can be enough of an adjustment to just trying to find that wiggle room. Why would I want to have three different men waiting their turn, especially if two of them don't stand a chance anyway? There's always a clear winner. Let's not kid ourselves. I've said this before, when I'm in, I'm all in. And I'm painfully aware of the risk of putting all your eggs in one basket, but anything else feels inauthentic to me. I guess old habits do die hard. There, I said it. Arguments and discussions on this topic most welcome. With this, I bid you good night and thank you once again for being part of the nearly 500 downloads since start date three months ago. Unreal. Until next time, Lots of self-love, especially on Valentine's.